Welcome back to Mark's Madness, now part of Chonkaluta. Woo! Yay! <laughs> We're doing it off the pre-recorded Nathan again. Like always from now on, unless Nathan now. comes back in for a tag-in or something. I don't welcome, know. Welcome to the new normal. Uh, <laughs> Nathan is here in spirit. <laughs> That's him shouting from the closet, actually. David's closet. Um, hi. We're... Uh, it's been a while since we recorded, so yeah, not something so. you would know. Uh, <laughs> but I'm I'm David. I'm Shingmani too, and uh, we're going to be reading the Red Deal as we've been doing as we're winding down. Um, but we have a few things to touch on uh, going on in current events to start off. Um, first one I think we should probably start off with is the oil train derailment. Uh, oh yeah, which sure. I think I think that one I, I'm probably gonna uh, let you run with Shingmani too. So, uh, for those of you who do not know the uh, Swinomish, sorry, gosh, they all have like names that end with like that begin with sw and end with ish. So I get a lot of them confused because I'm a bad person. But I was just out there last year, and for those of you who don't know, like. The Swinomish is like uh, just n- like north of Seattle, like maybe like give or take a half hour to an hour. Um, the uh, like sort of like the Mount Vernon area um, for those of you in the Pacific Northwest, um, and you know they're uh, you know a salmon people, so they rely on salmon runs uh, for a majority of their food. Um, it's actually kind of out by Lumby where uh Lummy, I should say. Like it's on the other side of Lummy, which is where I was. Um so like a lot of people like uh there's there's a lot of peoples, I should say, is what I was trying to say. Um and going through there was an oil train that uh because of deregulation and a bunch of other issues derailed. Um, but most importantly is that there was an easement that was agreed on with the tribe, uh, to prevent a certain amount of cars from, uh, going through. Right. Otherwise it would, um, what's it called? Um, it's more likely to have derailed at that point. So it's kind of like, you know, uh, when was this going to happen rather than if this was going to happen, if you will. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, that's that white people fucking us over like usual. Yeah. I mean, the diesel was what these, these trains were full of. So that's what, uh, spilled everywhere, uh, right to, you know, waterbed and everything. And I don't know about you, but I love drinking diesel. Um, no, I mean, and this is going to have detrimental... There's already huge detrimental effects for having Seattle in the area. But, like, the fact that I know it's so close to rivers that are... Like, it's literally right across the bay from the reservation I was hanging out at. So it's like, you know, like... It's going to affect all of that watershed. That's how this works. And it's detrimental, and it's very painful to see repeatedly happen over and over again. And where is the mobilization? Where, where is the East Palestine? Fuck Palestine, whatever fucking yeah. <laughs> East Palestine. Fucking it's, still it's still weird. That's pronounced that way. Um, you know, you have, yeah. you have just as many people, you know, mm-hmm. uh, this is closer to, you know, uh, major white towns, you know, like mm-hmm. it just, you would think this would have a lot more notice than some town in Ohio, is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Well, and like you said, it, you know, it's an entire water um, shed there. That's it's it's a sound. It's a massive bay essentially, and it's directly connecting to the ocean. That diesel is just there, all over that water. And so, um, you know, besides that, in almost seemingly good news. Uh, the Department of Interior is dedicating $25 million to the American bison's restoration. The only issue is, when you consider how much money 
they paid mm-hmm. out for the mass genocide of it mm-hmm. and then adjust for inflation, all of a sudden there's a lot of skulls and a lot more than that money can pay for. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we should, I don't know, not open up the Willow Project. Uh, or if we do open up the Willow Project, maybe we should be dedicating at least half that money to Bison Restoration. You know, it, uh, Willow's set to make like $80 billion a year. Yeah. So it's like it's you can put a, a little bit more than $25 million in it one time. Yeah. That's it's pennies, literally pennies on the on on fractions of pennies on one year's worth of the dollar. Fuck, that is that's fucked up. Like uh, I sent it to David, and David was like, "Wow, good news finally!" I was like, "Oh, sweet summer child." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I dumb. I I I, I boobed that one. Well, so. it's just like you know, anytime you think there's something good, you got to ask, "What's the angle?" Right? Sure. Because sure, like yeah. Nixon is like arguably the best president Native people have ever had, and let's be honest, it's fucking Nixon. Yeah, it's Nixon. Whatever marginal gains we got, the rest mm-hmm. of the country suffered for, mm-hmm. you know, and and we suffered for, you know, <laughs> like we didn't actually get gains. It just looks like we did on paper. Mm-hmm. Well, from a liberal standard, I should say, but we're Marxists and we hold ourselves to a higher standard than that. Yes. Um. I think the next thing we, we probably want to touch on, and it's really exciting revolutionary news, is the EFF. Um, the EFF did like a national shutdown uh, this past week. Where where did I have this here? Hold on. Oh, my goodness. I love... There it is. Um, yeah, so the EFF did this just massive uh, national shutdown. And of course they're a big party. They're, they're militant and radical, but then also represented in the the parliament there because, you know, that's something they, they want away from apartheid. Uh, even if electoralism is, is not the answer to them. And (laughs) their leader, Julius Malema was out in the streets blaring, uh, 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 um, I suddenly can't think of the, a megaphone. (laughs) Words escape me. Uh, (laughs) Just gotta get dressed in the morning. And be like, I need those things you put over the socks with the laces and the. Uh, but anyway, feet covers. Yeah, feet covers. Uh, but anyway, my my favorite line was uh, Julius Malema said, uh, "We have an appointment with the streets." Um, EF okay. have been you know organizing for months, uh, national strike, you know, a general mm-hmm. strike in order to um, basically. Well, shut down the country in order to meet the demands, but uh, they're calling for the remove. I forget his name. Um, um, President Ramaphosa. Ramaphosa. There we go. I was like, man, I I don't want to try to guess it because that is a slippery slope right there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can fuck that one up like that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Nope. Uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa. Uh, they're they're pushing to oust. Um, I mean, South Africa, again, you know, this is something that's that's been a long time coming. They had a, a massive revolution to get out of apartheid, and then what kind of seized upon it was neocolonialism, right? And it's been going away from the, the revolution. That's where you see a big distinction from that, and, you know, Zimbabwe. Um, well, and what we see is this is decolonization in action, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Like, they didn't have a Marxist revolution. They had a national revolution. You yes. know, this is that next step. So when we look at revolutionary history, Russia had its national revolution and then a later Marxist revolution. China, same thing occurs. Uh, And then the DPRK, they forego it despite Stalin's recommendation that they have a national revolution first. So theoretically, you can skip the national revolution, but here we see that they're, they're going through this process of recognizing that neocolonialism is real. It, it affects them. You cannot reach what we want, what we need, like for liberation through, uh, what's it called? Electoralism or parliamentarism. Um, I believe it was Marx uh, said, you know, uh, the, we split from the anarchists because they couldn't even make use of parliamentarism, you know, um, 
Like, if you can't even make use of that, you know, the most, the child's tool of politics, really, yeah. you know, I, I, then how do you expect to actually um, create a mass movement that can topple governments, you know, without fucking being stamped out in a few weeks? Like mm-hmm. Chaz, like Wounded Knee, like Paris Commune, you know, these things didn't go far enough and we need to learn. Um, well, I mean, Cop City, you know, this is a perfect time to see where anarchist leadership gets you, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, of- and I support Cop City. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying they need to organize. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I support our, our anarchist comrades, but we need, you know, organization. This is this is a big difference. I think people miss in revolution. We were going to get to the France and, and Paris on fire and, and stuff like that. Um but people have kind of like ignored the EFF uh, national strike and focused heavily on France basically burning down because that's how I think a lot of people see revolution in the United States, which is why it's so easy to fall for counter revolutions and color revolutions because those are taking down power that you know propaganda is is in people's ears as evil. Um, but people see revolution as just tearing down. Okay, um, and the the thing that came to mind was um, anybody that's ever stolen anything, okay? Anybody that's ever stolen anything. It's not about getting in. It's about getting out, right? And, um, you know, the fact that obviously you're not going to get anywhere if you don't get in, so that's still important. But the really important thing is getting out. And so if you just fetishize getting in, you're going to get yourself caught, busted in trouble, Revolution, kind of the getting out is having a new structure to, to build from, right? Having that organization to build off of. Having our communities set up and organized to feed each other, um, to figure out, you know, a structure of more democratic society. Um, to stop desertification without state, you know, mandates yes. to do so. Like, there's no reason we can't go and plant trees on the edge of the desert and like what? What is the state going to come and remove them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I if mean, they start doing that, well, then you know that's a greater contradiction to stress. You yeah. know, like this is this is shit they should be doing. If we start doing it, like it just helps us. The reason why I say that is because my reservation is set to be affected by desertification much harsher than the rest of white communities. Mm-hmm. We have the badlands, and we've been watching desertification happen for a long time. I just don't think we understood. We should be planting a bunch of trees along the edge and it'll stop. Yeah. You know, we probably were like, well, you want to actually get away from the desert because there's less water there, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, you know, at this point, ranchers get to irrigate a bunch of what little water we have or the uranium mine does and then poisons the fuck out of it. So maybe we can just stop the desert from killing us. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, but that's the same thing, right? You have to build these new structures of power and organization to educate each other, to feed each other, to protect each other, right? Um, And that's what a revolution is built on. It's built on building a new society. And so that's the getting out, right? You can't have the revolution unless you topple the government, but toppling the government is just getting in. And all you're going to do getting in is get yourself into trouble if you can't get out. If you just topple things, you're going to wind up with just nothing, Right. With Remember, January 6th got in and then didn't do anything. They didn't even topple anything. <laughs> they just went in. They just walked in and they were like, huh. They went in and they were like, oh, the, these are our people. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about owning and shooting the libs and then we'll play around with some toys. Um, Stupid. <laughs> fucking. <laughs> um, but yeah. Shit I mean, in somebody's desk. Yes. That's pretty cool, though. Yes. Um, but I mean, that's what revolution is. You know, you cannot build a new structure unless the old structure is toppled. But the point is not just toppling the old structure and calling it a day. That's how you wind up um, either with a totally collapsed society or fascism setting in. You know, we have to build a new structure. And I, I think, again, you know, that's that's what the scene comparing like the fire in France um, to the EFF stuff makes me think of. Right. People don't think of building. Um, and I think that kind of piggybacks on your point about the anarchists. For sure. And speaking of anarchists, France is on fire again. <laughs> <laughs> Did we bury the lead on that one a little too much? 
Um, but yeah, France, I think it's, what is it this time? It's, it's like energy costs and pensions that they're fighting for. It's, it's a reform fight, but it's violently being fought. Well, yeah, 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 it's just over pensions and it's just whatever. It's usual standard. It's France. They'll get bored and go back to normal. Um, You know, it's really standing up against the French government, though, is a lot of the African nations in in, uh, a lot of Western sub-Saharan Africa. Um, There's a lot of French nations there that broke off French colonialism and are stuck in neocolonialism. And you're starting to see their leaders like openly talk about like, you don't get to dictate us. You don't get to talk to us. Um, Getting a lot of protesters and people pushing French troops out and keeping French troops out. Um, so <laughs> you want to talk about revolution? Look at what's happening in Africa. Oh, right. Exactly. I mean, th- this is, it's playing out, right? Like, um, I try to explain that to people is like, there's no book to tell you how decolonization is going to happen here yet. It has to be written, you know, it, it doesn't exist yet. You know, I wish there was. I'd gladly fucking hand it to you so you'd shut the fuck up, some of you idiots. But we're we're talking about uh, uh, go on my Twitter. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I was going to say we're talking about Africa. We could always, you know, pull a page out of uh, and we mentioned Zimbabwe out of Mugabe's book and land redistribution. Well, yeah, I say we have to look at Africa because first off, they invented the term decolonization, and it's informed out of the North Korean and Chinese struggles, more specifically the North Korean, specifically because it foregoes uh, listening to Stalin. Um, and that was a, a huge struggle at the time was how much the common turn was overbearing on um, developing nations, if you will. Third world is what they would say. I would say that's reductive. And now we have things like fourth worldism and blah, 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 blah. You know, there's a lot of discussion here, and it's very complicated, but Africa is a very easy place to see what decolonization looks like, because unfortunately, they didn't kick all the white people out, and they're still dealing with that bullshit. Um, I do I do like that we get to bring that up, too, because that is a conversation, and I don't think we can really dive into it now, or we're not going to get any reading done, but that is a conversation where we talk about, you know, where you talk about the public and the private and, and criticizing in good faith versus, like, you know, smearing publicly and things like that, and people are so brain-poisoned with, like, evil dictator caricature man Stalin, even, like, left-leaning people, that to actually have, like, rightful critiques of Stalin is just basically impossible anywhere in the West. And that is one of the things to really truly critique is his handling of um, African revolution. But that is that is one of the good, you know, criticisms we actually can have of, of Stalin. You know, I mean, people think like super paranoid guy and they, they try to use uh, like the purges as his personal killing spree or something, which is just a total load of bullshit. But it kind of hides the fact that there was some revolutionary leaders that he didn't agree with at times of war. And it wasn't just like, you know, uh, um, um, Trotsky that he sent an assassin after, right? He tried to assassinate other – he tried to assassinate Tito. He just failed. So, I mean, you know, that, that it's a complex legacy. And that's a good lesson in a complex legacy for revolutionaries. But we can't even have that kind of discussion in the West. Uh, right, but we don't does, have a revolution. Yeah, <laughs> but it does tell us. It does tell us, you know, look to Africa. Um, and with that, I think we can probably get to the reading. So we're going to start on page one twenty six. This is recommendations. This is inside uh, Heal Our Planet Area Three Land, Air, and Water Pollution. Uh, recommendations: Indigenous people have played a key role in climate change, mit- oh, climate change mitigation, and adaptation. In New Zealand, for example, Maori people have advocated for the rights of the sacred Wanganui River, which have been given the status of personhood for its protection. We can promote the return of land to indigenous people wherever we are. Popular tactics for indigenous land return include land trust campaigns and honor taxes, whereby trusts are created with the purpose of purchasing land back, or where native nations occupied by cities assert that the occupiers pay the tribe an honor tax. Uh, 
It is easy to see that indigenous people are the most suited and knowledgeable caretakers of the land. Giving land back to indigenous people is the first step in land restoration. Capitalism and its unrelenting demand for profit uses and destroys the land with no consideration for future generations. We must understand that capitalism is the enemy of the future. I'll read that again. We must understand that capitalism is the enemy of the future. Banger. Yes. It does not see the land as a living thing to be cared for and respected, but simply another tool with which to satisfy greed. Capitalism is the Lorax. No. uh... (laughs) Awful. That was so bad. (laughs) Uh, Extractive industries, logging, encroaching infrastructure, deforestation, and improper agricultural practices, such as monocropping and overgrazing, all contribute to a decline in soil structure. Soil degradation in the form of salt and water imbalances is often used by waste disposal is often caused by waste disposal, chemical pollutants, and leaking pipelines. We just talked about the train derailment and that getting diesel fuel. And that's not even a pipeline. That's, that's, a, not that's even a, a whole pipeline. other thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, the compression of soil, which decreases air and water retention, is a result of soil being too compacted by heavy machinery, floods, and building structures. Excessive irrigation and fertilizer, fertilizers induce soil fertility depletion, while logging and deforestation lead to accelerated erosion. Healthy soil is essential for the production of vegetation. A diversity of vegetation attracts insects, birds, and other animals that serve important functions in the maintenance of ecosystems. Land restoration is imperative to restoring biodiversity. Biodiversity is the key to a vibrant and thriving planet. And we're talking about land back. Land back doesn't just include land back to indigenous people. It's like Land back is restoring the land back to a healthy state of being for mm-hmm. everybody so we can all continue to live on it because mm-hmm. that is necessary. I hope this is getting through to people's heads that land back addresses most of your concerns. Trust me. <laughs> Read the book. <laughs> We must design ecological restoration projects across the globe. Traditional practices for ecological restoration include revegetation by combining native, domestic, and wild plant species, crop rotation, agroforestry, burning practices, examples utilized by the Aboriginal people of Australia, intercropping, and water harvesting. These practices are designed to increase the health of the soil, protect crops, and create biodiversity. Anyone can promote food sovereignty in their local context by gardening on a small or large scale. Stewardship of the land ensures food security, which is increasingly important in the times of COVID-19. Find, join, and help a local organization that is pushing back against pollution or contamination caused by industry and resource extraction. And not to mention there's, you know, gardening on your own lawn. There's gardening... Mm -hmm. On public land, you can talk to your neighbors about gardening their yards. Like, it is so easy. It is unbelievably easy. You just have to fucking talk to people. Mm -hmm. And then with that, we get back to earlier chapters where we mentioned the seed libraries and stuff like that. Ending all forms of toxic capitalism will take us a long way in restoring the land to health. I also don't think it's necessary to add the toxic capitalism. <laughs> That's true. Sorry, it just it bugs me. I hate when people do that. <laughs> it's it's like the crony capitalism thing, except it's not as coded because it's not meant well, to be that. It's it's like that dude who on Guerrilla History was like, it's the capital of Posey, not the Anthropocene. It's like, or we could just say it's capitalism. <laughs> yeah. Like, I like where you're going, but just, it's capitalism. Just say capitalism. Just say capitalism. We don't use Latin anymore. It's okay. (laughs) The two greatest threats faced by indigenous people are the loss of land and the loss of ancestral knowledge. This is a serious threat as the massive massive extinction of species on Earth. Ancestral wisdom and traditional ecological knowledge must be preserved and protected. 
Gatherings of elders where they share their knowledge with tribal members and other indigenous people can be an effective mechanism for ensuring that knowledge is not lost, especially if indigenous youth are active participants. Support for indigenous women's networks is also needed as they are the carriers of ancestral knowledge. And that's how I've learned most of my shit is just participation in this stuff. Just being there, being a young person participating, hearing and listening. I don't talk at these things. I don't have anything to say. These people are smarter than me on this stuff half the time. The only things I can ever really suggest is to go, well, you know, it'd be interesting if we established a system by which we had power to do things on our own without relying on the federal government. I don't know. You know, you know? <laughs> Maybe call it something like dual powers. <laughs> But you know, like the, you like you don't necessarily have to be like, "Hey, everybody, you need to call yourself Marxist Leninist for me to work with you." You know, you can drive dr- stuff your own way and establish your credibility in these circles mm-hmm. for when it's first off your time to lead the conversation. You'll be more prepared because yeah. you listened rather than talked a bunch and yeah. insisted you're right. And so, hopefully, you'll actually have a better analysis to, analysis to present. Um, and it won't be immediately shot down because there's a lot of Cold War propaganda we're working with in, against in this country. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think there's a good point there. And we talk here about the Potsies a lot because they annoy the shit out of us. <laughs> oh, are you, I'm so pissed today because uh, of the Potsies. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, but one thing that that take and, and the whole whole cozy up to right wing and, and accept the racism in class. Um, 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 I forget what you call it, where, where you oversimplify it to class and ignore race and everything. I've totally lost the word. I am out on words today. Um, I forget it. Anyway, we only think about class. I've totally lost the term, but um, all that stuff, all that analysis is like, we'll, you know, cozy up to people and, Talk to them about politics and they'll listen because you're accepting their views, even if they're terrible views you don't agree with. And never mind the people whose liberation you were fighting alongside that that throws under the bus, right? But something that that tells me about people that say that is they haven't been out organizing because the thing that makes people listen to you is you're part of the group, you're showing up, you're helping out, you're doing things with people, you're part of that community. That's when people listen to you, right? People... People will listen to you all goddamn day if you're helping them. Um, so, you know, the things that earn you respect are not giving into bigotry and throwing your morals to the side. It's being there. And that's what we should be doing anyway. And I think with that, we could move forward. Unless mm-hmm. there's more you want to say. No, 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 no. That that was a stop. Right. I think. I was like, that seems like a good... Good place to end. <laughs> the passion. <laughs> All right. The United States is an empire bringing death and destruction to those within its grasp. Those who try to protect the land from imperial violence are cast as obstacles and deemed expendable and criminal. Now, this is something that's not just about communists. This is something about anybody who stands to protect the land, which is a lot more people than you realize because you'll never believe it. A lot of people live on the land. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, in 2016. Okay, in 2016, we saw the brutalization of water protectors at Standing Rock by militarized police. Oil and gas industries continue to target Chaco Canyon and mark the surrounding communities as sacrifice zones. Sacrifice zones is sort of like the idea of a part of the nation you just say, fuck it, and pollute to living hell for the sake of industrial development. For some reason, it is never white communities. Weird. In 2019, 33 elders were arrested for blocking access to Mauna Kea uh, for construction of the 30-meter telescope. Ta'ona Onim uh, relatives face daily harassment and restrictions of movement in their own homelands by U.S. Border Patrol agents. Police officers demand consent. How can you demand consent at gunpoint? Yet is 
uh, yet it is the Wet'suwet'en who are criminalized for protecting their territory. Indigenous land defenders on the Amazon are murdered for protecting forests that sustain life for the entire planet. And so with the Tohono O'odham uh, point, that's the 300 meter uh, towers we keep talking about. Um, they weren't finished yet uh, at the time of writing this, but this is uh, this is citing my podcast and stuff work on it. Uh, I, I just covering the intercept. It's not even fucking hard to learn about this shit. Just so many people ignore it because mm, not a white group. Who cares? Uh, and right. it's uh, so much bullshit. Sorry, it pisses me off that so many people. I'm not racist. I just only pay attention to white people. It's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I had a potsy today. Go. You're marginal. And I was like, yeah, that, that tends to happen with the genocide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get marginalized. That is the entire point. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're smart, aren't you? <laughs> really put those uh, language clues together. <laughs> like, yeah, 2% of the population <laughs> is marginal. <laughs> so anyway... <laughs> The criminalization of land defenders and water protectors is a tactic to eliminate and uproot indigenous peoples and other than human relatives. Um, Indigenous peoples will always resist imperialism and capitalist development because we recognize the United States as an invader. Uh, That means we'll always be anti-imperialists unless we side with them, in which case you're a scout and we have terms for them too. We've thought about this stuff. Crazy. We understand that protecting our relatives, land, water, air, ancestors, women, two-spirit, animals, medicine, children, and others, is at the heart of our customary forms of governance. It is what makes us who we are. While phrases that emphasize the sacred include sacred sites, women are sacred, and we are sacred, are now common for describing why we should practice the art of protection as its base, protecting is simply about being a good relative. Given the violence and destruction that U.S. imperialism forces upon us, protecting our relatives is a direct rejection of capitalism and empire. We demand the liberation of all of our relatives. We demand a future. And there is no future in anything but socialism. It is decolonization or extinction and it is socialism or barbarism that's where we're at and it's going to be decided for us soon so (laughs) you know fucking prepare you know it's it's not me who's gonna get fucked over by this we're preparing you know i am trying to warn you okay (laughs) at this point you know, at this point, just fucking listen. God, pay attention to what we're saying. We're almost done with this book. If you haven't got it yet, or if the Patsies are finally listening, one said he would. He's not going to make it this far, I think. Uh, <laughs> but if you made it this far, dude, this is specifically for you. And you need to get your head out of your ass. And I hope you've learned something by now. Anyway, fucking... Uh, <laughs> The Red Deal extends solidarity to indigenous peoples around the world who are fighting to protect our relatives from the ongoing ravages of imperialism. And that is that it's not just Indians doing this. It's not just Native Americans, whatever you want to call us. You know, it's a variety of races that all count as indigenous people, including the South African movement with EFF. That is an indigenous movement. (laughs) Wow, crazy. (laughs) Turns out there are successful moments of land back to look at right now. Anyway, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, or UNDRIP, we've talked about this earlier, uh, explicitly states in Article 25, Indigenous peoples have the right to maintain and strengthen their distinctive spiritual relationship with their traditionally owned or otherwise occupied and used lands, territories, waters, and coastal seas and other resources and to uphold their responsibilities to future generations in this regard. We recognize the need for international leaders to hold imperial nations accountable for their attacks on indigenous lands and bodies. Locally, the continued violation of our relative stems directly from colonial land loss policies and genocidal attacks by the U.S. government. 
For as long as the settler occupation of our lands exists, our relatives will continue to bear the brunt of capitalism. Therefore, capitalism and imperialism must die to protect the sacred. And that's a play on Russell Means' speech that in order for uh, uh, natives to live, um, Europe must die. Uh, and where he like try to say that capitalism, communism are the same thing. Oh no. So there was a secret third thing. It's fascism. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But ultimately, yeah, he was just being stupid. Uh, It's a stupid speech. We've talked about it on the red nation and uh, our, uh, it was a Yoda episode called our Indian reservations, socialism. Uh, They're not. (laughs) hint <laughs> but um yeah so on to the recommendations yeah so recommendations we must end the criminalization and brutalization of water protectors and land defenders this one is a bulleted list by the way guys so um uh just you know listen up guys gals non-binary pals i don't have little phrases like that built into my language yet Nathan's <laughs> um, <laughs> so much better i know <laughs> We must understand that what happens to the land happens to the people and vice versa. The protection of the relatives must include all relatives. No one is free unless we are all free. Public land is stolen land. Outdoor recreation is often on land that has been stolen and converted into public land. Conservationists and nature lovers who participate in progressive causes must respect the sacred, even if this means they can no longer use the land for recreational activities. And like, like literally, there is a village under the water where mm-hmm. it's super popular for white people to come boating and swimming. Like, oh, there's geez. dead people under the water, man. And you're fucking fishing there and shit. The fuck, dude? Mass movement. Not to mention tennis courts. Not to mention fucking tennis courts. I don't know how many times we have to say that, but they robbed fucking bones and shells to fucking build tennis courts. To make mortar to build state buildings and shit. It's fucked up shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, mass movements must be willing to educate about what is sacred and why it is important to respect and protect what is sacred. This means having a better line than we're militant atheists. <laughs> Stolen lands must be returned. Bawaiya? Is that how you say Waia? Bawaiya? Blue Lake is an area which is sacred and only used by the indigenous people of Taos Pueblo. Blue Lake was returned to Taos Pueblo in 1970, ending the termination era, which devastated indigenous nations and caused the loss of a further 1.4 million acres of tribal land. The Blue Lake example shows how the protection of sacred sites is key to the retention, return, and restoration of stolen land. And this was all part of the same sort of uh, occupations and struggles that led up to Wounded Knee in 1973, actually. (laughs) Uh, Greater Chaco Canyon support people and communities directly dealing with oil and gas infrastructure. Stop government-initiated lease sales for fracking operations. Protest at Bureau of Land Management offices. Raise concern about MMIWG2S and man camps. Go to local organizing events and meetings to end fracking in your area. And by the way, there there's no bank involved in this. The bank's not owning this land. This is a direct sale by the Bureau of Land Management and Department of Interior. You know, this is like I, I had some idiot like during this episode just say that land back is a privatization scheme. Oh jeez. In order to uh, fucking uh, privatize public lands. And it's like, you have no idea how this works, do you? Yeah. You're already privatizing the public lands because the public lands are stolen lands to mm-hmm. be privatized at a later time. Like mm-hmm. Teddy Roosevelt wasn't a good guy. 
And if you yeah. believe he was, you're a child mm-hmm. and you need to grow up. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I thought we would be past this point with liberalism in this podcast. So <laughs> if that thought came up, you need to question that. Uh, Mount Achaia protests to stop the construction of the 30-meter telescope, amplify the international divestment campaign, support the struggle through writing. And, of course, now you have um, the Red Hill struggle. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a bunch of different stuff connected in Hawaii. Like, it, devastating what imperialism's done there. And it's no wonder. I mean, they don't have a treaty, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, this, that, that's annexation. That's a whole nother ballgame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Support international movements and grassroots organizing through education, solidarity events, film screenings, teach-ins, protests, and rallies. Provide free legal work and services for water protectors and land defenders. Donate to legal funds like Una Stoughton Camp and Water Protectors Legal Collective. On to Area 5, huh? Uh, wow, we're we're like we're like there. <laughs> Holy shit, we're like almost there. We're only like fifteen oh, yeah. pages from the appendix. Yeah, yeah. Wow, Sorry. this is sad. Uh, <laughs> some announcements for the end, so stay tuned. Uh, area five: enforcement of tree rights and other ingredients uh, uh, is what I was gonna say. <laughs> That's next level illiteracy. <laughs> Lot to question with that one. I sounded it out, David. Okay, ingredients. Ingredients. <laughs> okay. Colonial presidents, congresses, and courts see treaties as business transactions to open up indigenous territory for the expansion of plantation slavery, agriculture, commerce, trade, and resource extraction. It is a co- it, it is as common for politicians to pledge to honor the treaties as it is for them to break or ignore treaties. To do otherwise would be contrary to the intentions of invaders, which is to secure permanent white settlement by eliminating indigenous nationhood. And, and this is a common tug in all forms um, from, you know, colonialism, imperialism and, and the ruling class uh, bourgeoisie to hold their power. Right. If we attack you, we shoot you, we throw you in a jail, we throw you in a cage. That's not violence. You fight back. That's that's violence, right? If if they violate, you know, a treaty. If we if we as a settler colony violate a treaty, oh well, you know, too bad, so sad. But an indigenous uh, nation, you know, fights back in in some way. It's oh, you violated the treaty. You got to stay within treaty rights, which is why legalization is such a powerful tool of colonialism. Um, you know, there's always, always that double standard, right? Oh, we don't have the money to, to bail people out. Oh, yeah, no, rich people, rich people are having trouble with money. Let's bail them out right now. You know, the military needs more money. Let's just print it, right? There's always that double standard in every, every form, and it originates in treaty violation here in colonialism. Right. And the colonial approach to treaties has resulted in nothing less than theft and genocide for indigenous peoples. But it is arrogant for invaders to think their systems of diplomacy and trade are the only traditions that matter. Indigenous diplomacy proliferated before the European invasion and continues to this day. For example, the Anabatasamasake say it fast and pretend it didn't mess up. Simpson considers that Gadu Naegainie a pre-colonial treaty for sharing territory between the Nishinaabe Nation and Haudenosaunee Confederacy in what is today known as Southern Ontario. Unlike the European Westphalian state model of sovereignty defined by exclusivity over territory, indigenous treaties such as Gurunaganina, whatever, which defend the shared territory as our dish, quote-unquote. This allows for diverse overlapping indigenous jurisdictions and sovereignties, um, which counter 
to the common white myth of we were just murdering each other left and right before you guys showed up. Yeah, I, that that's a no. very that that's the old uh, you know projection and chauvinism is the whole like borders and fighting for borders and expansionism and and no shared land that all derives from like Europe. European yeah European feudal um, you know land fights and land because that was the power in Europe is is your exclusive land of your aristocracy and that just gets projected all over the world in colonialism that's entirely a European stru- construct. <laughs> Uh, European political traditions would have us believe that being sovereign means asserting exclusive control over a territory. The Nahiya scholar, uh, which is Cree, I believe, uh, Emily Riddle argues, whereas indigenous political traditions teach us that, quote, I should say, quote, teach us that is through our relationship with others that we are sovereign. That sharing is not a sign of weakness, but of ultimate strength and diplomacy. Cool Wichasa historian Nick Estes and the editor of this book notes <laughs> that Wolakota meaning peace or treaty originated from the Pete Shawi or uh, white buffalo calf woman uh, or white buffalo woman. Uh, who brought the Lakota nation into correct relations with the animal and plant nations. Um, she, she brought us the white, the, she brought us the peace pipe. So I, I want to say she necessarily brought us into correct relations, but uh, we started to, to be more uh, diplomatic after that. Certainly. Yeah. Um, I would say a lot of our relations developed before this, and it's very wrong to characterize the origins of those relations as beginning here. Um, Just from a Lakota perspective. Uh, Anyway, um, this understanding to treaty making and diplomacy extended beyond the world of what could be considered solely human, which yeah, of course, but like these also begin before that, like we were, we already had our treaties. Um, Lakota people took their understanding of this original covenant with the non-human world with them as they entered into treaty relations with colonizing nations like the United States. Um, In the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaty, for instance, Lakota people negotiated a 32 million acre hunting territory so long as the buffalo may range, in addition to a 35 million acre permanent reservation. In other words, this treaty was also to secure the existence of the Buffalo Nations in relation to Lakota people that stemmed from a covenant or treaty made by a woman, not men. These examples show that discord is resolved through creating permanent relations, uh, permanent political relations between parties, including other than human nations, based on moral responsibility and good faith pledges. The consequences for violating these indigenous covenants extends far beyond the human world. Global warming and the sixth mass, mass extinction event are the apocalyptic results of the cascading unbalance. While those most responsible for climate change, imperial nations, have proposed remedies through capitalist markets and techno fixes, none so far have sought to rectify their own irresponsibility. Their failure to act holds the entire future hostage. Yeah. Original instruction. Oh, wait. Oh, no. Good. Go ahead. No, no. I, I had something. <clears throat> I lost it. Okay. Original instructions, which emphasize peaceful and mutual relations between humans and between humans and other than humans, inform the way indigenous people have historically entered into relations with European nations. Even if original instructions are not reciprocated, each party to a treaty has equal power to interpret the meaning of the agreement. While colonizers have chosen to interpret treaties to advance their own genocidal interests, indigenous people have never surrendered the moral authority, responsibility, or sense of justice that original instructions mandate. One of the most important expressions of this commitment is the People's Agreement signed in Cochabamba, Bolivia, which proposed not only just just relations with other than human with the other than human world, but also upending the cause of unequal relations between entire nations and humans themselves, imperialism and capitalism. The indigenous Andean cosmovision of vivir bien, uh, living well, and Pachamama, Mother Earth, are central to understanding the people's accords. Living well, 
living well is not anthropocentric or focused solely on human relations. It is earth-centric, focusing on the whole. It understands that capitalist domination over nature is patriarchal and that overconsumption, which is driven by the first world, is not the solution but the problem. If all of humans consumed as much as the average U.S. citizen, we would need four Earths to sustain it. Holy shit. That's insane. I knew it was bad, but holy shit. That's insane. We only have one planet to share, and just relations with natural world are impossible without just equitable relations amongst humans, humanity first. Like the Red Deal, the People's Accords are an indigenous treaty a covenant with the earth and its people. The U.S.-backed right-wing military coup that deposed MAS, oh, Mas, MAS yeah. leader, <laughs> MAS, <laughs> and Bolivian President Evo Morales in 2019 also uh, was also a coup against the eco-covenant and indigenous socialism. Now more than ever, it is necessary to reestablish correct relations by enforcing the original covenant, a living document or treaty with the earth. This begins by upholding the indigenous interpretation and authority over all treaties and agreements made with colonial powers, whether these agreements were struck 300 years ago or yesterday. There are also hundreds of multilateral agreements and treaties with social movements and the humble people of the earth that require enforcement. We can't and won't wait for colonizers. The power is in our hands to enact natural law and restore balance in accordance with indigenous principles. Yeah, and it's it's been a few years now since that right wing Bolivian coup. Um, so if people have forgotten in any way for any reason, um, that was not only like immediately genocidal towards indigenous people and immediately destructive uh, ecologically, right? But there was a huge emphasis on destroying and ousting and pulling out uh, the Wapala flag. It was directly dictated, and and the Christo Christo fascists were leveraged. Because it was directly like, there is no relationship with this land. This this treaty, this agreement, this is destroyed. We are here to extract in the name of God, supposedly. Well, so they God. literally said when they go in uh, with a Bible in hand, mm-hmm. never again shall Cochamama uh, set foot mm-hmm. in this uh, <laughs> building again. I can't remember what building. I forget the exact word they use. Yeah. It was like palace or some shit like that fucking like parliamentary palace i think is what that building was called i don't know Mm -hmm. but something like that and fucking like it it's just more than obvious yeah you know and And then we see christo fascists here having a huge traction Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like on the nose i think Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and i'm glad people recognized like the genocidal intentions of that and the fascism of that, but not recognizing that that was explicitly that the what what butters that bread is that is explicitly like lambasting the shared relationship with the land. It is we are here to extract declaration as much as anything, and that's what. People well, and that was the first thing she did was start cutting a bunch mm-hmm. of deals. You know, like, she absolutely was like, sell, sell the access. land to the highest bidder immediately, like just get it off the lot. And so we'll end with the recommendations, and I guess we should even do the conclusion here, huh? Just do a long one, because we're like, yeah, yeah, we're the, like almost the, done. Yeah, the chapter conclusion, not the conclusion chapter. No, 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 no. There you go. This con- <laughs> chapter's conclusion, and then we'll start the next episode <laughs> not on the, the next conclusion. Not the conclusion of the book, which is a chapter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> recommendations. Decolonize the atmosphere. Restore to oppressed nations and developing countries the atmospheric space that is occupied by first world greenhouse gas emissions. Nations of the global south cannot follow the same path of development of the north that require massive amounts of carbon emissions in their industrialization process. The right to develop is hindered by the colonization of the atmosphere by the first world's carbon emissions. This means the decolonization of the atmosphere through the reduction and absorption of their emissions. Transfer technology 
First world countries must assume all the costs and technology transferred needs of the oppressed nations who have lost development opportunities due to living under the boots of U.S. imperialism or in a restricted atmospheric space. It should piss people off mm-hmm. that they actually said, we don't need to make the vaccines uh, free and accessible to everybody, yeah. like research-wise. Uh, because the third world just doesn't have the capabilities to make them, even if they wanted to. Yeah, it's like, well, then help them get the capabilities. Why don't then, they? Then build the factory. Yeah, yeah, because it begs the question, why don't they? And they have a queued up answer that they're just backwards people, and but they try to spin it as not racist. Uh, yeah, they want to blame them for colonialism. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Um, open the borders. First world countries must assume all responsibility for the hundreds of millions of people that will be forced to migrate due to capitalist-driven climate change. They must eliminate their restrictive immigration policies and instead offer migrants a decent life with full human rights guarantees in their countries. Pay climate debt. First world countries must assume all adaptation debt related to the impacts of climate change on developing countries by providing the means to prevent, minimize, and deal with damages arising from their excessive emissions. Um, that does include natural disaster relief and, um, you know, <laughs> the way Cuba immediately sends doctors and then the United States says no and then FEMA fucks up and then we wind up like basketballing paper towels at suffering people. Yeah, uh, that's, people should that's be not good enough. Compensated mm-hmm. for their entire lives being lost. Yeah, I mean, well, you think know, about the like, fir- the firsthand accounts of Katrina. They, you know, it's it's we thought someone was going to come save us, and no one ever came. Right? If you're going to hoard the wealth of the entire world, you damn well better be that for the entire world. Instead, we drum ourselves up as that and just use that to destroy places. And we don't even do that within our borders. We're, of course, far worse outside of them. Um, Mass land return. Return land to the indigenous nations, the original caretakers. Billions of acres of territory have been taken out of indigenous ecological stewardship, resulting in mass extinction. Restoring lands to indigenous caretakers is a necessary step toward ensuring any kind of future on this planet. Restore treaty-making with indigenous nations. Respect and uphold indigenous treaties as international agreements and the supreme law of the land. Adopt and implement the 2007 UNDRIP. Um, Adopt and implement... Which the U.S. is one of the few... Oh, that is not. not. Yeah, of course. Israel, Canada, you Mm -hmm. know, we can tell. Yeah, it's it's always the same few countries. Um, Maybe it moves around the little U.S. a little bit more. Like sometimes it's the U.S. and Ukraine. Sometimes it's the U.S. and Canada. Sometimes U.S. and Israel. Sometimes U.S. and Israel and Canada. But it's always like the U.S. and a couple scragglers that are like stopping every agreed upon U.N. agreement. That would be good. Adopt and implement the 2010 People's Agreement. Adopt and implement a plurinational government structure or constitution that recognizes, upholds, and defends indigenous sovereignty and nationhood. Adopt and implement the 2011 Mother Earth Accord. Adopt and implement the indigenous principles of just transition. Adopt and implement the 2013 Treaty to Protect the Sacred from Tar Sands Projects. Adopt and implement the 2010 Universal Declaration Rights of Mother Earth. And on to this chapter's conclusion, the chapter's conclusion, not the conclusion chapter. Uh, We begin the Red Deal with the oldest yet often forgotten struggle on this continent, ending colonial occupation. While usually erased from the history of this nation, settler colonialism has fundamentally shaped the development of the United States and the world that it dominates economically and politically. Ending the occupation links those of us in the seat of empire with those who face its weapons, soldiers, and policies around the world. Together we share the common enemy of U.S. imperialism. This is why we begin with ending the occupation. The struggle against occupation on this continent has remained strong throughout history and continues, grows even, to this day. 
We've seen this in the global uprisings led by black relatives who have been resisting the colonization of Africa and the enslavement and oppression of African people stolen to work on this continent for centuries. Even with the COVID-19 pandemic, the uprisings during the summer of 2020 were some of the largest mobilizations in the U.S. history. The spread of uprisings across the country was also marked by the sharpening tactics and clarity of the roots of the issues. With images of burned-down police precincts and flipped cop cars evoking memories of black and indigenous resistance to slave plantations and frontier forts. The recent calls for defunding police and prisons stretch forward from a long history of abolitionist struggle. It is important that we continue nurturing these histories and movements of struggle against occupation on these lands and continue to build relationships with others globally who face the violence of occupation. We begin in part one with addressing those things that act as obstacles to our collective liberation, the prisons and detention centers filled with our family members, the police officers and prison guards who stand between us and the capitalist interests they defend, and the military, police, and vigilantes who murder our relatives. As we know, colonial occupation is upheld by constant threats of violence, and in many instances, actual violence. It is therefore no surprise that these obstacles to our life and well-being that employ violence in order to maintain the occupation receive the largest proportions of resources by the U.S. settler state. We therefore must seek to dismantle these institutions that get in our way of living good lives. So we aim to divert resources away from them through divestment. This is just the first step. It is not enough to be against any one thing, even something as big, evil, and all-encompassing as colonial occupation. Ending the occupation gives us the space to breathe and envision other possibilities that we are for. And we must be clear about what we are for. We are for indigenous life, for the life of all human and other than human beings. In order to live dignified lives, we must heal ourselves from the destruction caused by colonialism and capitalism by stopping what harms us and desecrates our land and instead begin to build what will sustain us. <laughs> when I went like this, it was supposed to go. Was supposed to, I was like, you were on the ball with that one. Uh, <laughs> After a moment of silence beforehand. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I think we can all see why we're reading this. Well, you read this book. I mean, we're about to finish it next episode. Yeah. But I, we say... <laughs> knowing us uh, <laughs> how do we only read half the conclusion god damn it uh, right like i don't know we we did a good job with this episode yeah, for sure we so we can get away with it on the last episode um <laughs> that said uh there's um i this guess has been mark's badness pod is that what you're trying to do yeah yeah, yeah. well i, I there's also uh, next season coming. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to figure out how to connect yeah. the announcement. Yeah. And w- we have a reader that's been put together for us mm-hmm. personally, like privately. Like this, it's, it's our own personal Mark's Madness reader yeah. developed by Prez from the Minion. And uh, Prez is going to come on and explain the choices they made in deciding mm-hmm. the reader and stuff like that. Uh, but there's three volumes of prison notebooks, which I guess is y'all didn't yeah. know. <laughs> Cause like when you all said you were reading the prison notebooks, I, I thought was it like, was one oh, volume. Okay. I thought, it, well, I thought of it like, like capital where like there's three volumes, but like one is distinct and then two is distinct. It's just, now, some of them are really dumb. Like he's, he's just being petty. Like this guy smells, you know, <laughs> 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 like we don't need to read that. And I think we can save some time with yeah. a little personalized reader. Right. So that's why I enlisted some help on it. And so uh, that's available to all listeners and everybody who wants it. Just DM email or join the discord where it'll be posted in announcements uh, as a downloadable PDF. Um, 
I don't know if that's illegal. I think it's in the public domain. Cool. Uh, I don't care. Uh, Gramsci. <laughs> this is this is you know us upholding Gramsci in praxis. You'll learn why hopefully. Uh, you know because we're countering hegemony. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, we'll get to that when it's time. But thank you. This has been Mark's Madness. Uh, you can reach us at at Mark's Madness on Twitter at Bands at, Island, at, at which Mark's is my personal pod on Twitter. So. At Mark's Madness Pod. Damn it. At Bands Island, which is my personal Twitter, and at uh, Chunkaluta1973. Um, there has been an unofficially uh, announced Mark's Madness bracket. Uh, oh. So they, they're not associated with us, but <laughs> they said they'll advertise for it. <laughs> Um, uh, there's also the emails, which is bands of turtle island at gmail.com, marks madness pod at gmail.com, and chunkaluta1973 at gmail.com. And soon there's going to be a website with transcriptions and some, maybe not right away, but eventually transcriptions of like every episode, hopefully, eventually. Uh, <laughs> you know, if there's like something we said that you're like, man, that was a fire rant that I wish I had written down or, you know, you, you wanted access to some of my written notes for this book, but bam, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming up, and so stay tuned, and I hope you enjoyed, and I hope you liked this book. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, so with that, um, we will talk to you all next week. My name is David. And I'm Shungmani, too. Bye. Oksha. Oh,